Hi, welcome to Harrison's Pod Class, where we discuss important concepts in internal medicine. I'm Kathy Handy. And I'm Charlie Weiner, and we're coming to you from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Welcome to today's episode, a 75-year-old woman who is diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Hey, Kathy. So today's patient is a 75-year-old woman who is diagnosed with hypothyroidism. She has long-standing coronary artery disease, and she's wondering about the potential consequences for her cardiovascular system of this new diagnosis of hypothyroidism. Oh, interesting. So the onset of hypothyroidism is usually insidious, and the patient may become aware of symptoms only when euthyroidism is restored. Some of the more common symptoms of hypothyroidism are feeling tired or weak, also having dry skin and feeling cold. Now, she mentions a number of end-organ manifestations of hypothyroidism, including on the cardiovascular system, so she is right to be concerned about that. Okay, well then let's get to the question, because it's going to ask a little bit about mechanisms. So the question says, which of the following statements is true regarding the interaction of hypothyroidism and the cardiovascular system? Option A is a reduced stroke volume is found with hypothyroidism. Option B is blood flow is diverted towards the skin in hypothyroidism. Option C is myocardial contractility is increased with hypothyroidism. Option D is pericardial effusions are a rare manifestation of hypothyroidism. And option E is reduced peripheral resistance is found in hypothyroidism and may be accompanied by hypotension. So the answer to this question is A, a reduced stroke volume is found with hypothyroidism. Now, hypothyroidism is associated with bradycardia, reduced myocardial contractility, and thus a reduced stroke volume. Increased peripheral resistance may be accompanied by systemic hypertension, particularly diastolic hypertension and hypothyroidism. Pericardial effusions are found in up to 30% of patients with hypothyroidism, although they rarely cause decreased cardiac function. And finally, in hypothyroid patients, blood flow is directed away from the skin, thus producing the cool extremities. Great. Well, today we have a special guest to discuss hypothyroidism with us. We are thrilled to welcome, once again, one of the Harrison editors to Harrison's pod class. Today, our guest is Dr. Larry Jameson, who is the Senior Vice President and Executive Dean of the University of Pennsylvania Health System. He's also a renowned physician scientist and a practicing endocrinologist. So it's great to have you here today, Dr. Jameson. Welcome, Dr. Jameson. Welcome back to the pod class, Larry. Thanks for coming back to join us today. It's great to be with you. I love talking about thyroid disorders. Well, that's good because today we're talking about hypothyroidism and its impact on the cardiovascular system. In thinking about the clinical effects, you realize that too much or too little thyroid hormone really impacts almost all of the organ systems. Can you walk us through some of the other clinical findings and systems that you think about in patients who have hypothyroidism? Sure, Kathy. I'd love to. One of the big advances in this field is the discovery of the thyroid hormone receptors. And what we've realized from that is that there are two different receptors, alpha and beta, and they're expressed in virtually every organ system. Now, not always in the same ratio. Some organs, like the heart, are predominantly alpha. Other organs, like the liver, are predominantly beta, and others, like the pituitary, are beta, but the brain is alpha. So what we have is a sensing system within the body to detect and then mediate the actions of thyroid hormones. And when you see patients who have low levels of thyroid hormone, this is reflected in organ dysfunction in every organ system. 
The clinical challenge is that many of these clinical features are quite subtle, and they tend to mimic the process of aging, slowing down metabolism in many different organ systems. So it's really hard to detect hypothyroidism based on the clinical exam alone. Larry, I'm, the alpha and the beta is new news for me. I'm just, can you just tell us a little bit more about how are they different in terms of either their sensing or their transduction or their um, effector mechanisms? Right, Charlie. So it's appropriate to begin with the fact that these are nuclear hormone receptors. And so they reside in the nucleus. The thyroid hormone is transported across the cellular membrane, binds to these receptors, and their functional role is to modulate gene expression. So they're not quick acting. It's not like the beta adrenergic receptor. They tend to modify the expression of genes and then in turn proteins. And one way to think about thyroid hormone action is that it really is a developmental hormone as much as anything else. So during the development of the fetus, playing an important role in brain development, for example. So if you think about the clinical features of cretinism, uh, you see the manifestation of low thyroid hormones during development. But once these hormone receptors have played out their developmental role, their primary function is to maintain homeostasis, to keep things nice and even and in equilibrium, whether in the heart or the liver. So clinically, we're mainly looking at subtle perturbations of homeostasis, either mild hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. That's fascinating. Can you give us a little update on the relative etiologies of hypothyroidism in the U.S., and is it different worldwide, and where do you think this is going in the next 10 to 20 years? Well, the etiologies of thyroid disorders are changing. If you go back a few decades, iodine deficiency was one of the most common causes of a thyroid disorder, but now that salt has been iodized, that problem has largely, but not completely, been mitigated. And then, of course, there are rare congenital forms of thyroid disease, which, uh, because they're uncommon, we don't need to discuss here. Clinically, these days, autoimmune thyroid disorders are the most common cause in the United States and in most parts of the world. After that, iatrogenic would probably be next. Patients who are treated with amiodarone or patients who have been treated for Graves' disease and they've had radiation to the thyroid gland as example, or surgical treatments of the thyroid gland. So the real actor these days is autoimmune disease, and it's increasing in prevalence, as most autoimmune diseases are. Uh, you see in the Japanese population, as an example, particularly high rates of thyroid disease because of the high iodine content. So ironically, although iodine deficiency can lead to hypothyroidism, high levels of iodine actually predispose to autoimmune thyroid disease. And in Kathy's area of specialty, you know, some of the cancer treatments, the immunological cancer treatments that are being used lead to autoimmune responses in many organ systems, including the thyroid. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We are seeing that a lot. And I've gotten a lot closer with my endocrinology colleagues here because of it. Um, treatment has been replacement of thyroid hormone for quite some time, and that's what we're still using now. Any new treatments or alternative ways of treating hypothyroidism on the horizon? Kathy, just as a reminder, there are two main thyroid hormones, T4 and T3. They're both produced normally by the thyroid gland, with T4 being the predominant hormone. But remember that T3, although less abundant, binds more tightly to these receptors, so it's more potent. In practical terms, the treatment for thyroid disorders for hypothyroidism is to use LT4. 
And the reason that's preferred is because it allows the body's natural deiodinases to convert T4 to T3 locally in a modulated way. So one can take advantage of this precursor hormone T4 and its conversion to T3 to get more modulated action of thyroid hormone in the liver, the heart, and the brain. So my preferred treatment is with LT4 alone. In fact, efforts to treat patients with combinations of T4 and T3 or with T3 alone have often led to complications because you can easily get excess T3 action by the use of T3. And it also has a much shorter half-life, about 10% the half-life of T4. So the T4 treatment gives you more even action and gives you local control in the different tissues. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And for everyone else, if you want to learn more about this, you can check out Harrison's chapter on hypothyroidism. This is Jim Shanahan, publisher at McGraw-Hill. Harrison's Podclass is brought to you by McGraw-Hill's Access Medicine, the online medical resource that delivers the latest trusted content from the best minds in medicine. Go to accessmedicine.com to learn more.